All right. Well, happy Father's Day. Oh, come on. Y'all were a lot louder on Mother's Day than that. I'm offended. No, for real though, happy Father's Day. We are grateful for you dads and all that God is doing in his church. And uh, he, of course, is our heavenly father. And we get our, we get our cues from him. And so we're, we're going to talk about men today. And I'm excited about that. We're going to talk about what it means to act like men, right? That just feels good, right? Act like men. Everybody say men. Uh, feels good, doesn't it? Of course, that has nothing to do with acting like a man, right? A lot of guys grunt and moan and other things, but uh, don't always act like a man, right? So we're going to talk about that, but, but I want to start somewhere else. Okay, fair enough. I'm going to start somewhere else, and then I want to get to what it means to act like a man, uh, and, and even I want to get somewhere beyond that. So, so I want to take you on a bit of a journey this morning, uh, and what I want to do is I want to start in our culture, and then I want to move into 1 Corinthians 16, and then I want to end in 1 Corinthians 15. Okay, So go on a little journey with me for that, but let me give you a little context as to why we're going to start in culture, why we're going to start in um, the world that we live in. Uh, As you probably already know, Redeemer City Church, and even more specifically, Pastor Mitch, uh, really couldn't care any less. Am I making sense to somebody? I couldn't care any less about politics, okay? You, you should just know me. Um, I, I'm on Team Jesus, and wherever he puts us is great. Um, and that's not to say I don't appreciate the country we live in. My grandfather was in World War II, had a Purple Heart. Uh, his flag his flag from his burial is, burial is hanging in my house. And eternally grateful for the freedoms that we have in this country. Many of you sitting here are in the military. And so that, that's not what I'm saying. Um, at all, I'm not making a political statement. But that being said, when one of our beloved politicians decides to use a Bible verse on national media, um, it moves out of politics and into theology. And so uh, if, if you don't know the context of that statement, you should just Google it. It's all over the news. And so what I want to do is I'm your pastor. My my role in your life is given to me by the Bible to shepherd and care for your soul. And so what I'm not going to do is draw a political conclusion for you today. But what I am going to do is I'm going to take that Bible verse and I want to set it in its context so that as you're thinking through the things you're seeing on television, uh, that we're working from a biblical framework that is complete that we're not just picking and choosing the Bible verses that we want to make our worldview complete. Okay, so what I'm saying to you is we read the Bible and then we formulate a worldview. We don't formulate a worldview and then go to the Bible. Does that make sense? You, you see the difference? So God comes down first and then we go out and we take our cues from what God says. 
And so I'm not going to talk anything about politics, but what I do want to look at is the verse that was used. And it comes from Romans chapter 13. So what I want to do first is I want to read the first eight verses of Romans 13. Okay, Romans 13, the first eight verses says this. And this is the part that was referenced to uh, in the news by an elected official. Okay, so here's what the Bible says. Let every person, somebody say me. Okay, you're included in that. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. Nobody's amening. I don't know why. Listen to this. For there's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what who has appointed. What God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers, okay, here, here we're starting to get into some nuance, all right? You got to put your thinking cap on. We used to do that in school, right? When you were like six, like get your thinking cap out. You're like, okay, I got it. Now put it on, your teacher would say. Now tighten the screws. You know, it's just like, you know, sometimes we have to do that as adults. We have to remind ourselves to put our, to put our, uh, our big boys and girls clothes on and put our thinking cap on and think through some of these things, okay? None of this is easy, by the way. None of this is simple, okay? So, so think with me. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God. An avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes. Man, you didn't know that verse was in the Bible, did you? (laughs) For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. That's the first half of Romans 13. And so if you just take that down for a second and just think that, think with me through that, okay? Um, The Bible, very clear that God uses Government. Okay, can we all just agree on that? God uh, uses government. The Bible says in Proverbs that the hand of the king is like water. In the, the heart of the king is like water in the hand of the Lord. That he turns it wherever he wants. And so God is always at work behind the scenes. He's always working underneath what we see. How many of you know that God can take what is bad... And bring about something that is good. Right? And we go to Bible story after Bible story after Bible story. Where man didn't do what they ought to have done. And God brings about something good anyway. We look no further than the first book of the Bible. Right? Where Joseph sold into slavery. Horrible life. Ends up second in command in all of the world. 
And when his brothers come, Joseph looks at them and says, listen, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And so uh, here's something else we can agree on. When God's in control, we may not understand all of it, but we can trust it. Okay? And so um, there is that overarching thing that the Bible says. God is at work in the world even if you can't see it. He's at work, and he is working. So what happens when one of our elected officials chooses to bring in this Bible verse and say, you ought to go with the policies of the land because the Bible tells you to go with the policies of the land. Okay? I would just say a couple things that, you, that ought to trigger in your mind when you hear statements like that. And I'm not going to tell you what to think, by the way, so don't, don't, don't try to get that out of me. I'm going to be like your college professor, who, who your good ones anyway, who didn't give you the answer. They made you think. They want you to formulate an answer. Okay, so what happens when that happens? The, the first thing I would encourage you to do is find that Bible verse and read the whole context. Read the whole chapter. Because there's typically more there than what an elected official, come on somebody, is going to tell you. Right? So what I want to do is just point out that Romans 13, 1 through 8 shouldn't be divorced from Romans 13, 9 to 14. Am I making sense to somebody? Okay, we read the Bible in context, okay? Because here's what verse 9 says. For the commandments, the ones that God's for, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment. Here's what God's for. Any commandment are summed up in this word. You shall... Love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, well, that, that changes what 1 through 8 looks like, doesn't it? We're, we're, we're submitting, subjecting to the government while living out God's law to love your neighbor as yourself. And then where you as a Christian have to ask yourself what is happening in our world, is how do I love my neighbor as myself and be subject to my government? That's not easy. Because in a room this size with this many people, there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of opinions on what it, what it looks like for our country, what it looks like for other countries, and, and all of those things. And so what I'm not telling you to do is to... What I'm, not, what I'm not saying is what you ought to think about a policy. What I'm saying is the Bible's commanded you to do everything in this way. To love your neighbor as yourself. And then we think and flesh out our worldview from that. So what the Bible's given us for worldview is be subject to your government. You should pay your taxes and not evade them. Okay, stuff like that. What happens on a policy when, in your view as a follower of Jesus, is not loving your neighbor as yourself? How do you get in on that? But let, let's, let's just go to the big one, right? Abortion, right? We are, we are as anti-abortion as you can possibly be. You should know that about us. But what happens when the government says it's okay? And then there's a Bible verse that says, be subject to the governing authorities. 
see what I'm saying? You've got to read the rest of the chapter. Because the rest of the chapter says, give honor to who honor is due. Well, for some people, it's not due. And so you, you have to work out your worldview from Scripture. Okay? And so the reason I said I'm not drawing conclusions is because we could take the rest of the year and, and walk through all of these issues. Well, all I'm asking you to do is to let God speak for God. Let's not rip a Bible verse out and apply it to one thing that it wasn't meant to be for. And if we're going to do that, let's, let's take the whole thing. Let's take the broad body of work. Okay? Because here's another passage of Scripture in Zechariah 7 where God is the ruler speaking to his hand-appointed ruler. Here's what he says. And the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. Everybody say God's word. Okay, here's what it says. Thus says the Lord of hosts. He's just making sure we all know who's in charge. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Render what kind of judgment? True judgment. Show what? Kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow. Do not oppress the fatherless. Do not address the sojourner, the poor. Or let any of you, let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words that the Lord of hosts sent from his spirit through the former prophets. And therefore great anger came from the Lord of hosts. Okay, so... Uh, when when you take the whole Bible, um, you get a much different picture than just one verse. Am I making sense? And so I'm not going to go any farther than that in that conversation. My, my only goal as your pastor is that you take all of what God said, not just one statement that God said. Make sense? So... That's my political diatribe. End of rant. Not much of a rant, though. Just, I just, we, we've got to, and I'm going to show you why in a second here as we talk about what it means to act like a man. We, we, it's on us as the church to handle the word of God rightly and truthfully. And so whether we... It's all true, and we trust it, and we submit to it because it's God's word. It's not ours. Amen? Amen. So, all of that. Now, act like men, right? Back to that. Uh, Let me pray for us, and then I want to read a scripture for you, and uh, we're going to talk about the men in the room. And ladies, don't check out on me because you're our greatest accountability. Some call it nagging, but that's for another time. smiling at my wife back there let's pray together father you're so good we're we're so grateful for the scripture in james that says every good and perfect gift comes down from the father we recognize that your greatest gift was given to us in jesus and that your word says apart from him we can do nothing 
we confess that today and we ask Holy Spirit that you would move into this space right now, that your manifest presence would be real, that you would take your word and massage it into our hearts, that you would drive the gospel deep into our bones, that you might be praised in this place this morning. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. All right. First Corinthians 16 verse 13. And 14 says this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith. And here it is, act like men, be strong. And then a lot of times we skip the next verse because <laughs> we're like, then, but what's the next verse say? Let all you do be done in love. Can I say it to you this way? Meekness isn't. Weakness. Somebody should write that down. That's a that's tweet worthy. Meekness isn't weakness. Be watchful. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. Be strong and let all that you do be done in love. The overarching theme that Paul's getting at to getting at here is that you are called by God, guys, to act like men. And what surrounds that verse is what it means to act like a godly man. What does it mean for you in the 21st century United States of America to act like men, godly men, in a culture that has different ideas and different opinions and different values than the Bible, than God? I think we typically measure our performance as men in three ways. Uh, the first two are where we spend most of our time, but I want to suggest a third that's going to help you today. The, the first measurement that we typically use is we measure our performance as a man in the past. We, we look in that rearview mirror and we say, here's where I've been, here's what I've done, and we give ourselves an assessment, or maybe our spouse is giving us an assessment on where we've been. And is there value in your car to that rearview mirror? Yes or no? Is there value there? Yes. But is it the most valuable is what we're asking. We can learn from our past, but our past does not define our future. Does that make sense? And so when we're measuring performance, there's an aspect of looking back that we have to do. But our past is not our present. And our present is not our future. And it's an important thing for us because in the culture that we live in, uh, we're told that we need to measure our performance. That as a man, you need to reach certain barometers, certain, certain points to become all that you're supposed to become. Our past. The second way we measure our performance is our present. When we look around us at the, at the time we're in and when we ask ourselves, uh, how am I doing at being a man? And depending on how you were raised or where you went to church or, and, and, or all of the factors that shape your influence, that shape who you are, uh, determine what your answer for that is. What am I presently, what ought I presently to be doing to be a man, to be a successful man? And I want to suggest to you that those two areas of measuring your performance are okay, but they're not the most important. 
From the Bible's perspective, the third way is the most important, that as we look back on our past and we assess our present, that we put our hope and our confidence in our potential. Does that make sense? So we're looking at the past, we're assessing our present, but what the Bible says is that God's mercies are new every morning. Great is His faithfulness. So there's this altogether different side of being a man or being a Christ follower that God says, no matter what has happened in the past, as you move forward into the future, you have great potential. Because if we sang it, God is for us, who can be against us? Now, now hear me that that scripture is not so that you can go conquer the world. That scripture is not so that you can make a ton of money. In fact, God being for you may be because you're headed into some serious struggle, some serious suffering, like Job, who lost everything. Past, present, or potential. So what what does that have to do with you being a man? Well, let's unpack these few verses real quick. I want to give you three ways to act like a man, because that's the command. Act like men. That's what we're told to do. Three ways to do it. The first one, he says, be watchful. I want you to see more than yourself. See more than yourself. One of the quickest ways... To not be the man that God has called and empowered you to be is to start looking at yourself. Start looking at all the things in the past that I've done wrong will be the first thing to rob me of doing right with my potential. So as you're looking back, we're, we're being watchful. Have you ever been to a sporting event and you know you see somebody go up on the big jumbotron, the big the giant screen, and they're sitting there like this? Totally bored, usually because we're watching the Rays and they're terrible. But then what happens? They see themselves on the jumbotron. They see themselves up on the big screen, and what happens? We go from this, guys, you know I'm not lying. We're sitting here like this, and then we see ourselves, and we're like, you know, and like, you know, and suddenly we're, we're super fans, right? Because what happens? We see ourself and we get fired up. <laughs> but five minutes ago, we didn't give a rip what was happening. Why? Because we love me some me. Right? Did you know that the Bible never tells your wife to love you? All the women are like, that's right. Just do what you're told. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> All the guys are like, can I amen that? I'm not sure if I can amen that. Why? You know what the Bible tells your wife to do? To respect you. Why? Because you've got a pride problem. <laughs> right? God has wired us for performance. There, there is a reason that you 
like to accomplish whatever you're passionate about. And there's a reason that you want to tell your wife about whatever you're passionate about that she's not passionate about, right? I mean, you, you can be bagging groceries, and if, you're, if your wife's like, man, you bag groceries really well, you're like, yeah, I do. <laughs> what do you know about bagging groceries, bro? You know, it's like, it doesn't matter what, if you're an artist, you know, if your wife's like, man, your artwork speaks to me, you're like, yeah, it does. That's good artwork right there. Right? It could be like the worst artwork you've ever seen. And, but if your wife's like, man, that, man, that speaks to me. I like that. Like, yeah. <laughs> Girls, if you want your husband to love you, just give him false compliments. We'll be like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I mowed the yard. That's right. <laughs> Listen, God, God created you. And the things he put in his word are there for your good, right? We, we have to see God's commands as the fences that keep us in our place of potential. See, when we step outside of that, we, we start to move into what we think we can do better. And how many of you know that that just leads to destruction? That leads to us failing and falling. I love how the New Testament constantly reminds us of who God is by saying it this way, that he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's strong. Why? Why is that strong? Why, why does God refer to all three of them? Because, guys, what we're working for, what we're moving towards, what we're trusting God for is not just a good reputation, but we want to leave a lasting legacy so that when we are done that people aren't saying, oh, the God of Mitch. No, we, what we want is to leave a legacy that it's the God of Mitch, Malachi, and Maddox. You know, we, we want that legacy to flow downhill so that we've changed generations to come. See, sometimes it's just stop looking at ourselves. We have to see more than ourselves because what God can do is infinitely greater than what I can do. And that's good news, by the way. When we stop focusing on me and start focusing on we, we'll be shocked to learn how much happier me is. That's bad grammar, but it rhymed better. (laughs) Moving beyond reputation and living for a legacy. That often involves humility, and humility kind of gets a bad rap, doesn't it? That just being humble and not being macho. See, a lot of times, like, and I've even played off it today that, you know, guys are macho, right? But that really has nothing to do with being a man, does it? A little bit. I mean, it says be strong. We're like, yeah, I like that. I'm just going to get my bat first, <laughs> right? Like, we, we like that. But there's more to it than that. I love the way C.S. Lewis defines humility. You put that up on the screen for me so they can read it. Here's how C.S. Lewis defines it. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. Okay, does that make sense? True humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Does that make sense? Leave that up there for a minute. Let that soak in, right? Because what God's not saying is like self-down, like, oppressing yourself, putting yourself down. What he's saying is 
see more than yourself. See more than yourself. Humility is not thinking that you're a loser. We've all had that friend who's just like, well, I can't do anything right. You know, you're like, we know, you can stop telling us, right? <laughs> or whatever the, whatever the case may be. That's not humility. Humility is just simply thinking of others more than yourself. Right, that goes back to Romans 13, that we love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Most of us don't have a problem loving ourselves. And I realize there's real issues of depression. And uh, when we kick off the fall, we're going to be talking about the mind. And we're going to talk about some of the mental health issues. There's very real stuff like that. So I'm not discounting that. So don't hear that. Um, as we think about suicide and these things, uh, we're going to talk about that. Um, so I realize that, but, but for a lot of us, it's just simply moving our eyes from looking at me to looking at we. The second one there that the, the scripture gives us is stand firm in the faith, be strong. Those things are connected, that as you stand in the faith, that you would be strong. The, the words literally mean persevere and persist. It's Father's Day, right? How many of you have a kid that knows how to persist? Right? Dad, 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 dad. I got some hands. They're just worshiping back there. That's right. Yeah. Like if I heard, if I heard my name one more time, like, I heard you. I just don't want to talk to you. And, you know, that's poor parenting, um, which we may or may not do. But, but here's the reality. What does it mean to stand firm in the faith? What the, the Greek there is talking about is being a pillar, an immovable pillar to be strong. Not to be strong as in I can beat you up strong, but to be strong that whatever life brings our way, I'm a pillar for the church and I'm a pillar for my family that regardless of what culture says, regardless of what happens to me, I will stand Firm like a pillar as a support for my family and as a support for God's family. That's what it means to be strong and to be acting like a man. Guys, we need to get serious about God's word and taking leadership and taking leadership, standing firm in our faith. There's good, good answers to every issue in our culture and every issue in our family in God's word. There are good answers and it's on us to go find them. And it might take a little bit of work, but there's good news there. We're pillars of strength. And what I love about the Greek word there is that it's in a tense that is saying that we keep on being stationed. Keep on being stationed. You're never off duty as a dad. You're never off duty as a Christ follower. You're never off duty when you step into work when you step into play, when you step into family, you're always stationed. You're always a pillar of strength in the faith. And it's important that it says be strong in the faith, right? It doesn't say be strong in your ideas. It doesn't say be strong in your own strength. It says be strong by standing firm in the faith. We're, putting, we're, we're able to stand strong because we've put our faith somewhere else. We've not put our faith in ourselves. We've put it in the God of the universe. So we're being strong. And then the kicker, 
Number three, do it in love. Do it in love. So you, you, can, you can make progress and not love the people around you, and it's worthless. You can get the desired outcome, but if nobody likes you at the end of it, we haven't made any progress. The difference between a cultural man who's strong and a godly man who's strong is the love in which we do it. Listen to how Paul describes it just two verses later in verse 17. He just said this about men and he said, I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus, if you're looking for names, moms, and Achaeus, because they have made up for your absence. Listen to this. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such men. They refreshed my spirit. Not he wrestled a bear or he, you know, whatever they did back in the day. It says he refreshed my spirit. That's a different goal for us, isn't it, guys? That we'd be strong in our faith that others might be refreshed in the spirit. What an awesome legacy that would be. To act like men. Maybe you're sitting here, guys, and you just feel the weight of that, like I do. It's just like, I... I that's all true, man, but that doesn't feel like good news. You put good news on the back wall. Why is this good news for you? Because you were never made to carry it alone. Again, I invoke my read the Bible in context clause. Right, All those verse numbers and chapter numbers weren't there in the original letter. So if you just back up a little bit, and for our sake, so you can find it, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty six, It will be on the screen if you don't have it. But if you back up there and look at verse 56, here's what the Bible says. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. Why does God say, do this, do this, do this, or you're not a man? Because we have to come face to face with the mirror before we can start looking out the windshield, right? We, we look at our past to realize who we are not to stay there, but to learn from there. Because what we realize when we get into that moment is that I'm a sinner. The sting of death is sin. We're all going to die because we're sinners. And that's who we are. But it's not who we have to be. Look at verse 57. It says, sin is death, sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to act like a man? Walk with Jesus. You want to act like a man? Love because he first loves you. You know that God loves you? That you have a father this Father's Day, regardless of what your father on earth was like? That there's a father in heaven who loves you and gave up his own son so that you might become a son or a daughter of God. You see, the good news is that God came and did for you what you can't do for yourself. All those conquests we go on as guys that we think are going to scratch the itch but end up not and leave us wanting. The boats, the golf, the golf trips, the 
the trucks, the cars, the video games, the whatever it is. All that stuff, we're looking to fill a void that only God can fill. That only your Father in heaven can satisfy. And when we are refreshed by the Father's love, only then can we move forward into being the Father and the man that God has called us to be. He loves you first. And therefore, you can love him and love others. Amen? Let's pray and then we'll sing another song here as we get ready to go. Father, you are a good father. You're worthy of our praise. And we trust you today. We ask that as you teach us through your word, that you would help us. That Holy Spirit, you would remind us that we're loved and that nothing can separate us from the love of God through Christ. And so Holy Spirit, I just invite you in this moment to speak to the hearts of the men in this room. That our call is to act like men and that you've given us pillars to look at to be that. That we would be firm in our faith in a culture that's rapidly shifting. That we would be strong. That we would be watchful. But that we would do it in love because your tender loving hand came to us first. We would love to praise you for that, Lord. As we sing this song, if you stand with me. I just want to encourage you guys, even ladies, that on this Father's Day... Uh, this part's for all of us, right? We have, a, we have a Father in Heaven who loves us. Now you would just take a minute to be refreshed in that. That you would listen to the words of this song. Think about what the Father did for you. And if you don't know Christ, today's the day. I just encourage you to connect with somebody. I'll be in the back afterwards got some of our elders up here at the front We've got bibles and next step books if you're not sure what that first step looks like when you give your life to christ we would love to give you a bible and a first steps book so that you can get on this journey of walking with jesus there's nothing greater in the world he's a father who loves you so let's sing this song together uh, and think about the goodness of the father